you know, the title of our, our day long is uh, Dhamma, the Supreme Medicine. And it's, you know, besides many other things, the Dhamma is called a medicine. And the Buddha is uh, often compared with a spiritual doctor who helps us, you know, to uh, find the way, you know, how we can deal, you know, with our spiritual disease and then, you know, find out what's the cause, what's the virus, and then uh, have a certain way of uh, practicing in order to slowly but surely let go of that virus and uh, realize full health within the context of the Buddhist teaching is called Nibbana. And, uh, you know, the Four Noble Truths are one way how we can express, you know, the essence of what the Buddha has awakened to when he, you know, was sitting under the Bodhi tree in Bodh Gaya and realized full uh, awakening. And, uh, and then he has put his insights into the uh, framework of those uh, for the fourfold methods of diagnosis and prescription, which was used at his time in ancient India. And because, you know, that's a real, very pragmatic, very practical way of going about uh, looking at one's own experience. And in the Buddhist teaching, everything is about, you know, how do I relate to my experience? to find out, you know, how I'm relating to my experience, if I'm stuck in past ways of relating, if I have, you know, developed certain patterns of absencing myself, of defending myself, of shutting down, of checking out, and all of the different, you know, methods which we have developed very early in our lives, you know, as infants or maybe even in the womb, they were like appropriate uh, responses to trauma but then you know we have gotten stuck on those responses and maybe repeated them for 70 80 years however long you know we are already living and you know that's like the contemporary parlance on that you know but that's what the buddha actually was referring to to this constant repetition of the past by kind of being going under you know being completely swept up by those very powerful uh, responses, which once were very intelligent and totally appropriate when we were infants and didn't have uh, the capacity you know, to instigate change because we were so totally dependent or even you know, still in the womb of our moms. But now you know, we are out of the womb to a certain extent at least, you know, and we are adults and we actually can... Uh, you know, we can make choices. And, and these uh, Four Noble Truths, you know, laid out in that uh, system of ancient Indian medicine are uh, one way, you know, how we can coach ourselves. You know, we can always come back to that template. And uh, because, you know, the, the Buddhist teaching is not a philosophy. I'm sure you've heard that many times. You know, it's not a philosophy, but it's, it's a tool kit. And then we, we are supposed you know, to take the tools and 
put them into practice and then have a direct experience of how those tools work. And then, you know, we don't need any convincing anymore because we know for ourselves. It's still not easy necessarily, you know, because it might, you know, bring up a lot of unpleasant feelings. So I'm not going to say it's easy in terms of being with it, but it's intellectually not very challenging, actually. And then, but some people, you know, prefer to go off into philosophizing and needing to read 500 books about the Four Noble Truths before they are convinced, you know, that this is something we are trying. And that we would call that, you know, one of the hindrances, which is a doubt, most likely, and then also maybe aversion, you know, or, you know, wanting to feel kind of in control and, you know, enjoying reading very lofty uh, explanations and so on, which is can be a good thing, you know, for lifting up the mind. But if we get stuck on that and never really go into the nitty gritty of experience, then the Four Noble Truths will not be liberating. We have never taken the medicine, you know, reading only the label on the bottle is not healing us. We need to just open it and just take it. And that might be bitter sometimes, you know. And that's why it's so important to have community, to have sangha, to have these um, spaces, you know, online or or real places where we can meet, like Spirit Rock, where we can meet in person, where we can, you know, be together and, you know, create like a certain atmosphere where we can all feel, you know, supported and, you know, reflected, it gets reflected back to us that, yeah, we are all on the path. And... There is a way, you know, and the Four Noble Truths is one of the many ways, you know, how the Buddha has explained what needs to be done. So I'm just going to go a little bit into those, uh, in this layout, you know, in terms of ancient Indian medical diagnosis and prescription. So the first point would be, you know, to say if somebody comes, you know, somebody would come to me if I'd be a doctor and say, you know, I'm sick. So that would be the first noble truth. The simple statement, there is dukkha, there is dis-ease, there is unsatisfactoriness, there is a sense of friction, stress, and sometimes it's also translated with suffering. Just simply stating that, there is that in my personal experience and that, you know, it has a lot to do with my personal experience, not with the objects necessarily, you know, because the objects themselves, they are just what they are, but the experience of dukkha or unsatisfactoriness arises in the way how I'm relating to objects. May they be material or may they be mind objects, emotion, emotional states, relationships and so on so there is illness there is disease that's the first noble truth and then the second one is you know what's the origin of this disease what's the origin of this illness what's the virus what's the bacteria which has 
you know, started off that illness, it's always the same. It's craving, craving and clinging or tanha in the Pali language, which literally means thirst, you know, thirsting for something different than what is. As Anna Napoleon was guiding us in the meditation, noticing when you want to have something different than what is, that's an experience of uh, the virus, you know, putting you away from the present moment, either into the future or into the past or defending against something or wanting more of something, that kind of wanting and not wanting, that's the virus. And to really experience that virus and its power uh, directly, it's very important. You know, even it might be unpleasant, but it's very important to see how that is operating. And, you know, it's not something we can willfully shut down and we also should not do that, but it's about experiencing it and through not going under that, slowly but surely, you know, thinning that power out. And then, you know, what's the, uh, the state of health? Let's say if we, you know, manage to deal with the virus and then we become healthy. And the state of health in, in the Buddha's uh, dispensation would be the cessation of dukkha the ending of dukkha, the letting go of craving. That would be the description of health and in the scripture is often called nirvana or nibbana. You know, the going out of the flame of craving and wanting. And then, you know, so the going out of that craving and wanting, allowing the natural movement of life as it is. So that would be, you know, the definition of health would be allowing movement to just be what it is. Like same in the body, you know, if we have blockages in the body, then illness arises. You know, if the movement is interrupted of the chi, how it's called, or maybe the blood circulation or any other kind of circulations within that system, if there's an interruption, then, you know, health is, is deteriorating. And different, you know, illnesses kind of come up. And then the cure for this is, you know, the often quoted Noble Eightfold Path. That's the cure. Or we could also say, you know, that's the prescription which the Buddha gives us. That's the training, which, you know, brings us towards increasing recovery until, you know, full health, which is Nibbana the ending of craving. So that's, you know, the, the framework of the Four Noble Truths and just, you know, as the footprints of all animals fit into the footprint of the elephant, so all wholesome states of mind fit into the Four Noble Truths, into that framework. You know, whenever there's a wholesome state of mind, it is always connected with not craving for a moment, for a split second at least. And, you know, and how to practice with this instruction is 
you know, each of the four noble truths has its own uh, its own demand, you know, on us, has its own instruction comes with it. So the first noble truth that there is unsatisfactoriness, there is tukka, comes with the instruction to understand. And our teacher, Ajahn Sumedha, he always said, you know, you have to really stand under the suffering, to really stand under it, go close to it, and really feel it, you know, and feel it, what this craving, what this clinging is bringing you. And if you, once you really see the conditionality between the craving and clinging and the suffering, then the mind responds, you know, with letting go. So the second uh, noble truth is the origin, the virus of the unsatisfactoriness that needs to be abandoned, which is the craving, but not abandoned by suppressing it and saying, no, no, I don't really want this but by really deeply experiencing the connection between the clinging and the suffering. That's really very important because that uh, leads to what's called in the Pali Canon Nibida or um, disenchantment. And disenchantment in a, in, a, in a positive sense. We are no longer falling for it. Because we can see, no, it's not working. This is just like a myth. This is just a trick of the mind. It's that way is not leading to satisfaction. This way is not leading to anything but dissatisfaction and suffering. And to really see that very clearly, that's the second noble truth, to abandon suffering through insight. Abandon craving, sorry, through insight. And nibida, disenchantment, if we translate that word literally, it means actually not finding. I find that really beautiful. Not finding because we are seeing, you know, we never really find what we are kind of looking for in the craving mind. Because the, the, the mind with craves, you know, projects something into the future, like the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. And then you get to the other side of the fence and, and phew, it's not really that. And then I just want to go to the other one. I want to go back again. And then I'm here. And then, you know, after I've done that like 500 times, it starts to dawn on me, well, that it has something to do with my mind, not with the fence or the grass or anything. It's just in my mind, you know, I'm just projecting that. So you need to run back and forth, you know, of both sides of the fence until you just, you know, burst out laughing and say, oh my God, that was just like so stupid. But for that, you know, you, you really need to uh, have a clear framework. And that's what's so practical and pragmatic about the Buddha's teaching. He doesn't say you need to not do this or not do that. He just gives us some instructions how we can find out for ourselves, you know. And then the letting go of craving is the result of insight, really. So... It really works, you know, and then there's the third noble truth is the cessation of craving, full health, Nibbana needs to be realized. And realized means, you know, to really live it, to really um, put it 
into integrated into our lives. And you know, and my mother language is German, and in German the word realize means verwirklichen. And and that means if I translate that, verwirklichen means to in re, to really live it. That means uh, verwirklichen. It's not so clear in, in, in English. So to really uh, live from that place. And as long you know, as we can't live from that place, we haven't really fully understood, which is okay. But then we just keep on going, you know, keep on going the Noble Eightfold Path, which is the prescription which needs to be developed. So suffering, you know, or unsatisfactoriness needs to be understood to go really close to it, to stand under it. Then the origin of craving, the virus, the origin of suffering needs to be abandoned. Health needs to be realized, the cessation of craving. Vanibana needs to be realized and the Noble Eightfold Path or the prescription needs to be developed, needs to be followed. And then... You know, that work will slowly but surely, you know, be accumulative and not accumulative in the sense, you know, that we are having more, but is 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 less, you know, we're letting go more and more of past luggage. So that can also be quite confusing, you know, because usually if we are benefiting, we think we need to have more of something. But in the Buddhist teaching is the opposite. The benefit manifests through letting go of past conditioning. And then, you know, the seeing clearly comes from letting go of all of those filters, you know, those emotional and cognitive filters, which are let go of through inside. And, and then, you know, there's less and less luggage we are carrying around and projecting onto our experiences and then it's getting more and more clear you know nibida the disenchantment becomes more and more clear and it's not a disenchantment you know which is depressing but the disenchantment which is kind of humorous to a certain extent and and definitely you know it's very it lightens the burden because we start to understand you know this unsatisfactoriness isn't a quality of life itself but it has something to do with the mind which is riddled you know with ignorance and the mind which is not really capable of being in a direct relationship with life as it is in the moment because there's these defense mechanisms going on and and you know they are called um craving you know, wanting to nail down the good things and wanting to defend, you know, from the bad things, so to say. And that is not uh, how it works because life is constant change, constant movement. And if we want to do anything, you know, to leave behind that unsatisfactoriness, then we need to be more and more capable to flow with life as it is. And to open to that.
bringing back that fluidity and, you know, unfreezing and integrating material, which we haven't had a chance yet, yet to metabolize. And the core remedy is, uh, you know, having the right relationship to our experience, which means an openness. And every time, you know, we're noticing there's some kind of craving and clinging going on to just step out of it. And then, and again, and again, and again, doesn't matter how many times, but what is important is that we are noticing it when we are grasping, when we are kind of shutting down, when we are contracting, when we are trying to interfere. That's like the wake-up call. That's the virus. Then, you know, we need to remember. So it's, it's you know, the template is really not, uh, not very challenging intellectually, but to give oneself to it fully is challenging because of the Vedana, you know, because we are feeling beings and we are afraid of unpleasant feeling because we somehow can confuse unpleasant with bad and pleasant with good, you know. But if you have ever been at the dentist, you know, and had a, had a dental treatment going on and that was maybe painful, but afterwards, you know, you're, you were healthy again and, and your, your tooth didn't kind of poison your body. It was a good thing. You know, sometimes pain, fulfilling is a good thing. So this automatic, you know, connection between unpleasant and bad and pleasant and good, we need to really look into that because that trips us up so much, you know. And our whole, you know, consumer capitalist, consumer culture falls for that very, very uh, obvious, you know, kind of uh, wrong assumption. And meanwhile, you know, over the centuries, it's getting more and more dangerous, you know, this kind of assumptions because they... They are having, you know, unleashed things, you know, on this on this planet, which are downright, you know, dangerous now, and we're becoming more and more aware of it. And uh, you know, so we those those experiences you know they are not only like our individual problems you know as as individual practitioners looking at how our minds and our hearts operate but they have become they are you know global problems they are collective problems they are cultural problems they are like very world views you know which are really not no longer sustainable. And, and many of us, you know, are noticing that there's something going on that more and more of us are becoming aware that is no longer sustainable. You know, those ways how we had have organized ourselves and our societies, you know, the ways we, we do things, you know, the ways we are transporting ourselves, the ways we are eating, the ways we are relating to, others so many many things you know it's just all 
no longer sustainable. And when we look at it, we can see, you know, is these same forces are underlying uh, those things that which underlie our own individual uh, issues in our lives. And I think that's uh, important to see because we need to really uh, manage our attention better, I think, and to really look at, you know, the havoc which is wrecked in this way and uh, opening more and seeing more clearly, you know, what's, what is uh, happening on an individual level is repeating itself on a collective level. And it looks like to me, you know, that a time is coming where we not only need to practice like, you know, on an individual level, but also in a collective way, acknowledging those, those things, how devastating, you know, they can be if they are unchecked. And then at the same time, also, you know, the, the planet life itself is already showing us the way. You know, the planet Earth is showing us, uh, you know, holding up the mirror very, very big for us, you know. So I think this practice has never been more important than now, you know, where we are forced, you know, to look at things. We have been able to look away for quite a long time, but now it's somehow it's, it's no longer working. We have to stop, you know, trying to optimize the past because it's not going to work out that way because we need a much more radical response. And, you know, and seeing how this individual uh, application of the Four Noble Truths operates in our own minds and hearts, we can understand more fully, you know, why we are where we are as a, as a collective And you know, and and that hopefully you know brings up a sense of compassion because you know that's really the only response, a sense of compassion for the situation as it is, you know, because there wasn't necessarily an obvious bad motivation behind it, but a lot of confusion, a lot of ignorance and a lot of misunderstandings and not, you know, not really being capable to understand that we are not, you know, like little children who are going to be taken care of by Mother Earth and, and by some kind of male God up in the sky, but that we are the ones we have been waiting for and that we are actually the planet and that we can actually make ourselves available to become the immune system of the planet by working you know, with our own minds and hearts and also building networks of, of relationship with others where we really honestly look at this, how deep you know, the root of the problem is and it's not like our own making. It's just part of, you know, being here on this planet. We have 
been incarnating here because we have something to learn. So this this is like the art and the science, you know, to to feel alarmed enough that we recognize the urgency of the situation, but not going into judgment and blaming because that doesn't really help. And, you know, to allow for a bigger container within our own minds and hearts and also as, as a collective, you know, so that we can see the conditionality that we can see what's what's going on and and seeing you know that those individual problems they just ex- get exasperated if we are collectively um, enacting them unconsciously and i think you know allowing that to become conscious is is what we can do by applying the Buddhist teaching. And, you know, I'd like to guide us in a a meditation where we could try, you know, to basically see how deeply interwoven the individual and collective patterns of craving actually are. And I think, you know, that... uh, is so much, you know, the the working theme of the Four Noble Truths. It's not about anything else, but just, you know, laying it out and allowing the mind, allowing the heart to really clearly see what is happening. And then the heart and the mind is responding. And, you know, through repetition, we can, uh, we can empower that, that seeing. And then we there will be more space, you know, in the mind and in the heart around the experience and into that space, you know, something new can emerge and that might be different for each of us, you know, some kind of insight, some kind of inspiration, some kind of knowing, some intuition, you know, what is my work inside of all of this? What can I do, you know, to move out of these old ways of relating to life, which are deeply, you know, patriarchal. And that's just, you know, how evolution works. There is nothing bad or wrong about it, but if something really shows itself to to not be up to the job, then it is the right thing to let it go. This is what disenchantment is all about, you know, to wake up from the dream. So, you know, let's find a posture we can sustain for like about 30 minutes or so. And you're coming into the body again. You're connecting with the body breathing.
and you know how how are you right now you know if we are kind of starting to reflect on the fact you know the connection between our individual craving and our cultural you know sanctioned craving which is called consumerism Or aversion, you know, militarism, racism. You know, how is the, the body and the mind when they kind of hear that, you know, is there some kind of sense of fear? This is... just you know, breathing into that and then you know just bring to mind like a social or a cultural or an environmental difficulty in, in the area where you live. And choose one, you know, for, for contemplation for now. So, you know, like an inner researcher. Just a difficult issue, politically hot issue, or anything. And just looking, you know, how do I relate to this topic? This, uh, this uh, particular symptom, you know, in my culture, in my country, in the cultural body of that culture, of that country. How do I relate to that? You know, just exploring that particular symptom without immediately judging it. And also without judging yourself, you know, how you're relating to it. 
there's maybe like a sense of wanting to get away from it, you know, like a sense of wanting to be, wanting to absent oneself, wanting to get out of it, contract, defend. Just uh, listening to the symptoms, roots, to the depths of it. So it's again, it's about the relationship, you know, attuning to it with a lot of compassion and, you know, gentleness. So not judging it. So I'm rather approaching it with curiosity, not with an opinion, with spaciousness and not with pre-formed ideas. like listening to it what are the deeper roots in the social body in the cultural body of my society because those roots you know i can recognize them in my own body and mind and I can you know notice do I get tired do I you know want to disconnect or do I feel very engaged I feel confused maybe or can I deepen my inquiry and you know, feel deeper aspects of that cultural issue, how it manifests in myself. And anything what arises, just you know listening and paying attention to it so you know how does it manifest in my body in my emotions in my mind And what mental framework? How do I hold this? And can I bring in the medicine, which is 
letting go of wanting it to be different than from what it is. That's the medicine. Giving space for that to show itself what it is. Have some space to move, have some space to unravel the innate intelligence of life. which seems to, you know, work in terms of wanting to dismantle something, which is no longer working. Can we allow that? Can we go with that? Can we partner with that? You know, to... Um, to make space for movement, unfreezing. So, you know, seeing the symptoms of you know craving in, in our cultural and social situation. You know, of fear of not wanting to let go of the past. And also, you know, seeing what's actually much more meaningful, much deeper solutions. You know, which are actually available to us. But there's this layer of craving of fear, you know, which is defending. And, you know, if, and if many of us are, you know, lost in that defense and this absencing and craving and not wanting things to change, then what we end up with is what we got. And we are the ones we have been waiting for. There is no big daddy and mama or so who's going to fix it. And I think that's like such a, you know, deep mythical structure in us which we need to uh, mature out of. To experience ourselves as part of planet. 
And because of that, you know, we can be part of the immune system. We can activate that in us. And, you know, this very old medicine of the Buddha, which is, you know, encapsulated in those Four Noble Truths, it applies very, very straightforwardly, you know, to individual and collective suffering or unsatisfactoriness. And really, you know, taking in the fact that we are all uh, part of the problem and we can all be part of the solution. And it's complicated. It's complex. And it's many, many, many steps. But it, it can be done because there is a way. So, you know, what do I feel in my body? And if I really allow that, you know, that this is to just be there, not defending, not judging, what we notice is it starts to settle. Because there's enough space, it's immeasurable space. This is this beautiful, um, you know, sutta of the uh, lump of salt. If you, you know, have a lump of salt and you put it in a small cup, you can't drink the water. It's going to be bitter. But if you have like a huge container, you know, like say Lake Tahoe, and you throw in a lump of salt, I can drink the water. I won't, I won't taste the salt at all. And the same, you know, with our current situation, if we see everything only about, 
me and mine and my comforts and what I have to give up and blah, blah, and dangerous and all of that, then it's overwhelming. But if we can see, you know, the connection and the deeper roots of the issues, you know, and how we all are part of this, then, you know, we can start to make some space and allow the natural movement of life to be restored. We don't have to fix it all ourselves. But what we can do is to work on ourselves so we don't stand in the way. And to go with the movement of life. And to, you know, to pay attention to what life is and reality is telling us, you know, in no uncertain terms. And just, you know, letting go of that so social symptom you brought up into your mind. And just, uh, you know, how do you feel right now after this exercise, meditation? You know, compared from the beginning when we dropped it in into the mind, in my case, you know, I felt a sense of a bit of fear and defense and contraction. And now I, I just feel a bit more spacious around it and more in relationship with it. It's ever so subtle, but there's a difference. So, you know, connecting with that spaciousness, with the awareness. The knowing. You know, which is not ending at the walls of this room. It's immeasurable. You know, and allowing any, inviting any potential insights or, you know, downloads or however you want to call it, allowing that to arise in that spaciousness. That inner intelligence of awareness. Allowing something to emerge if there is anything which wants to emerge.
our inner guidance. You know, which comes into our into us, and then it becomes information because it comes into our formation, our bodies and our minds. You know, I'm I'm available for that. I'm here. So your willingness to participate in that great turning, as Chana Macy calls it, you know. By opening up those frozen feedback loops and reestablishing relationship with life, with our own bodies and minds, and with the with nature. So, you know, activating that feedback flow, that's, you know, really the, the calling of our times because, you know, information is, it's very close, but we need to let it in. There is more than enough information. There's almost, there's too much information. But how do we relate to that information? That's the point, you know. That's where we can do something. That's where we have, besides other wisdom's teachings, we have the Buddhist teaching, you know, which the Four Noble Truths lays it out so clearly. True health is movement, or call it impermanence, you know. It's a constant exchange, a constant change. And if the mind is lost in craving and fear, it can't allow that. So we can take care of that. And, you know, through taking care of that, we can be part of the immune system. And that is... The best thing we can do right now. And we have the information for that. We have 
this ancient teaching in which is totally applicable to what needs to be done, what needs to be understood, needs to be realized. So you're coming back into the body. We're feeling the body on the cushion and the feet on the ground if you are sitting on a chair. You know, then, you know, slowly opening the eyes. And then taking it in, you know, we are like a group of over 70 people here. We all come together today and, you know, in that recognition that we really badly need to apply that medicine, you know, that ancient medicine. On an individual level and on a collective level. And we already have have that medicine. We already have that prescription. That's really good news. And then, you know, the work to apply it is is what it is. (laughs) It's not going to be, how does one say, a walk in the park or something. It's not going to be that, but... You're not alone, you know. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.